Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Casey, where we take 30 minutes out of the week and uh, take a look at market conditions, market strategies that you can use. Um, I've never before seen so much money being made or lost in the real estate market. Um, you know, there's a difference between doing it right and doing it wrong, and the, and that difference is about $100,000 in a lot of cases. So, so I have been gone for two weeks. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. There's been birthdays. There's been great weddings. There's been a lot of fun. So now it's time to get back to work. And um, I am a little shocked at what I see once I got back to work. Um, um, very shocked. And I think that we all need to understand what's going on and we all need to take corrective action and uh, move in the right direction. So let's, let me go ahead and share my screen as I always do. And let's go to the videotape as Warren Wolf would say. And this is a February edition of Coffee with Casey. Now, we know that inventory and interest rates are what's driving this market. The lower the inventory, the more the, you know, the more um, prices go up, you know, the better it is for the sellers, the worse it is for the buyers. Um, it started in, in 2020, uh, 2020 with the pandemic and we've had to keep an eye on it ever since. So let's take a look at what's going on. So in Fairfax County, and this is January, this, this January compared to January from a five-year average between 2015 and 2019. So what's the standard? Well, the standard is, is X. And since then, in 2020, inventory was down 4% in Fairfax County. 2021, it was down 7% in Fairfax County. And this year, it is off 25%. Now, that's a scary number. When your inventory goes down that low, so the question is, you know, is it just Fairfax County or is this, is this all around the region? Well, Loudoun County, actually their inventory went up in 2020, then, you know, kind of leveled off in 2021. This year, they're down 27% as well. So, so all of the inventory in Loudoun County and Fairfax County is shrinking. And if you go to Prince William, it's even worse. I mean, Prince William started off in 2020 down 13%. Then they went down 10% the next year. And now they're down 29%. So, you know, if you're looking for a home, pretty tough right now, according to the January inventory numbers. Now, let me tell you is why we like to sell in January because there's not a lot of inventory. There's not a lot of things we can compete with. Does this mean you don't go out and buy a house? No, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's work our way through all of the counties. If you take Prince William, Loudoun County, Fairfax County, then you'll see that, you know, it went up just a tad and went down just a tad. And this year it tanked. So we are in a serious inventory crisis. We're in a crisis, so how do we take advantage of that? All right, the other way to look at this is when you go out and look for a house, how many homes are on the market and how many of those homes are under contract? Now, that dictates whether we're in a seller's market or a buyer's market. So sometimes only 25% of the homes are under contract. That is a buyer's market. 75% are active, 25% are under contract. Anytime it goes above 60, you are in a serious seller's market. So look at these numbers for the cities around Northern Virginia. So 
Arlington is one of the lower ones, Arlington Oakton at 67. Those are serious seller markets. But look at Vienna and McLean. 90% of the homes in Vienna are under contract. 100% of the homes in Centerville. Now, what I do is I take the normal home for that market. Let's say it's 700 to a million dollars or 500 to 800. You know, I go to the market and I say, what's, what's their average home? And I'll take that number. So for the average home in Centerville, 100% of them are under contract. In Haymarket, 100% of them are under contract. You know, and you can see Reston, all of these are major, major, major seller's markets. So let's take a look at where it was normally. Well, in July, it was 58% were under contract on both the smaller and the medium size and 45% of the real, what I call luxury homes were under contract. This is a 10 mile radius of Vienna that I go out, right? So there's a big sample sizing. So you can see that in July, 58% were under contract. Now it's 73% advantage seller. 58% were of the medium size. Now it's 83%. Huge, huge, huge advantage sellers. 1.5 million plus, 45% goes to 54%. Now, still in a seller's market, not as monstrous as you know the rest of them, but these numbers are huge numbers. I mean, that's 20% higher than that. So, so why do we like to sell in January and February? Because of this, because we have no competition. We have people bidding up prices. You know, things are happening to the benefit of the sellers, right? So, you know, what does that, what does that really tell us? Let me get out of here and stop sharing screen. I think I just stopped sharing screen. So what does that tell us? Tells us if you're thinking about selling, get it on the market now because a lot of inventory is coming. And as inventory grows, those numbers are all gonna go down. The buyers will get more leverage and the sellers will have less leverage. Now, even though we're in a good market for a seller, that does not mean that you could put a house on the market overpriced. You will hear crickets. So people see these numbers and uh, they see some pretty high numbers out there and they'll say, well, I want that number maybe even higher. Or I feel, I feel like this house is worth more. I had one home that was worth 1.3 million. The family felt it was worth 1.5 million. There were crickets when it went on the market. As soon as we got it to 1.3, it sold, but it sold at less than the 1.3 million. So the strategy of coming out at the 1.3 and letting the buyers fight it out and bid it up, that strategy would have played well and got them into a $1.4 million contract as opposed to under 1.3. So the loss there was, you know, at least $100,000, if not 125 to 150,000 bucks. Our average sale over a million dollars, average sale over a million dollars in the last half of last year had $127,000 premium over list price. Now I'm pretty good at pricing. I listed at what the house is worth based on the comparables. So as long as you don't get greedy and overprice it, if you price it at that right number, the buyers will come. And when the buyers come and they are out there, we've had um, in January, we had a hundred showings in one property, 22 contracts. The other one had 60 showings in 22 contracts. Um, we got a, a one going off this week in Centerville and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to take us back. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to get out of this. I'll get out of this and I'm going to go to MLS and let's see how this one's doing. So I'm going to go to, this is, this is our showings coming up this weekend for a house in Centerville. So showings on my listings. Now, this is just your normal run of the mill. This is a nice home in Virginia run. And this shows me how many people this house went under contract at a hundred and whatever, a lot of money over its list price. So this house, the one that's coming on the market. So scheduled for showing for a $900,000 house in Centerville are two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 20 people are coming to see that house. 20. Now this, this home was just had its price reduced. And now it's also got about seven or eight, which is much more than it had before. So, you know, you can see there's a lot of buyers out there. They're not going anywhere. You know, the buyers are, are as long as we don't get greedy. Okay. As long as the sellers don't get greedy, then they're going to do just fine. When they, you know, there's a big, there's a saying, not a saying, but there's a, if a seller is asking you questions, it's going to go really well. They're going to make a lot of money. If a seller is telling you things, how things should be and how you're going to do it, and what pictures to use, it doesn't end well. I mean, it just, you know, um, I look at an attorney and I said, well, if I came in and started giving you legal advice, would you take it? Of course not. You're the one that went to school. You do it every day. Why, why would you listen to me? I don't know what the heck's going on, you know, or somebody that's a financial planner. If I, if you gave me some financial planning advice and I told you what to do and how to do it and blah, 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 then we wouldn't, it wouldn't end well, wouldn't end well. So, you know, in many cases, I tell you, interview your realtors, trust whoever you're going with based on whatever their track record is, you know, how well they've done in the past. Do they sell homes of your size? I mean, there's a big difference between selling $750,000 houses and $1.5 million houses. So you need to have confidence in any professional that you're working with in real estate and then let it, just let it roll. Let, take their advice. In our market, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. So if you put out for 1.3, you're gonna get 1.425. If you put try it at 1.5, you're gonna end up at 1.275. That swing is about 150,000 bucks. Pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. So let's just make sure that we play by the rules that are set out, you know, in today's market. Is it frightening how short that inventory is? Yeah, I'm very shocked. 25% reduction over already kind of iffy markets. Hmm. So why aren't people putting house on the market? It is not COVID. They're not putting it on because of COVID. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, COVID is out there, but it is a, a milder strain um, I don't see any of the panic with the sellers about the masks and not letting people in my house and fumigating and all the rest of that stuff. So, uh, even though we're cognizant of it and we take, um, precautions, um, still that concern is not here with the sellers. I think they see the prices of their houses going up and figure they'll wait a little bit longer. But the problem is, you know, a lot of these houses come on the market as interest rates rise, the buyer pool shrinks a little bit as inventory comes out, now you're competing with more inventory to a smaller buyer pool. 
So um, again, pigs get fed. So the time to go is as soon as you possibly can while there's no inventory, while 85% of the homes are under contract. That's when a seller wants to move. So let's talk about buyers for a second. I want to talk about families. I want to talk about families helping, you know, parents helping their kids. Don't buy a condo. I'm just going to say it right now. Don't, don't buy a condo. There's no evidence that purchasing a condo and paying that money and taking the risk of higher condo fees or, you know, something happening to the condo where you get assessed for $4,000 a piece or a catastrophe that ha happened down at West Park. There's no evidence that the condos appreciate in value and are have any kind of investment potential whatsoever, okay? Um, I mean, we just sold two for a couple that probably had them for 15 years, 12 to 15 years, and walked out with what they paid for them. Um, now that's 12 to 15 years of managing buyer, you know, managing renters in that property. Um, condo fees going up, um, you know. So, so I'm just going to tell parents, if you think, if your kids are thinking about a condo, you've got to somehow get them into a single family detached house. I'm going to tell you a reason why. The reason is greed. The reason is 100% greed. I'll tell you why. Because I sit down with sellers every day. And they say, we're moving to Richmond. Why are you moving to Richmond? I can tell you why they're moving to Richmond. They don't need to tell me why they're moving to Richmond. That's probably where the grandkids are, right? They're going to go follow the grandkids. If they go to North Carolina, you're going to uproot and go to North Carolina. If they go to Colorado, you're going to be in Denver. So the greed is you're trying to keep your kids and their families and your grandchildren, more importantly, in your local area. Now, maybe it's not Indiana. Maybe it's in Centerville or in Haymarket or you're moving out or they can move out a little bit further. But they've got to buy a house. It shouldn't buy, it should not buy a condo. And here's, here's how, if you're, if you're able to do it, here's the right way to do it, okay? So a lot of parents have retirement accounts, bigger retirement accounts, a million dollars, two million, three million, five million dollars in, in a retirement account. Talk to your financial planner. Borrow enough money that your kid can use that as a down payment on a house, right? The key here is you really should put down 20% when you're going to buy a house. So if the house is 800,000, they need to put down at least $160,000. Now, maybe your children have 50, 60 or 70,000. Maybe they have a portion of that to buy a house. And I don't want everybody to get their egos and their, uh, all that stuff wrapped up in this. This is a business transaction, right? It's a business transaction. Uh, uh, Mom and dad put, spent a lot of money, put their kids through college. They are really invested in that family. They're really invested in keeping their grandkids where they want them to be. So, you know, when you have money in a retirement account, you can put it in bonds or invest in your kid. I say you put it in, invest in your kid. It's a much more stable investment. Plus you get to keep grandkids where they are. So, um, so the, 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 the mechanism for this is we used to do shared equity where, you know, person puts up the down payment, person makes the mortgage payment. Then when the property is sold, investor gets their money back, their down payment back, and they split the proceeds 50-50. That's one way to do it. 
The other way to do it is for the parents to borrow money on a, on a their 401k program or whatever their retirement account is, lend that to the kid in the gift letter to you know get get them their 20% down. And I'll tell you why that number is significant in a minute. And then if you're paying 2% on that money that you borrowed, the kid should pay the 2%. So if you lend them, you know, whatever it is, $100,000, they should be paying $2,000 or 2% on that $100,000. So it's, it's a business transaction. All they're doing is they're borrowing it from you to make sure that the lenders are only at 80%. Now, why is 80% the key number? 80% offers the buyers, the kids, the best interest rates, no private mortgage insurance. I mean, if if the kid, let's let's take an 800,000, let's take a million dollar house. I know you're not gonna buy a million dollar house, but let's just take it because it's rounder numbers. So if I have an $800,000 mortgage, I'm gonna get the best possible rate. Let's call it 2.75%. But if I'm only putting a 5% down, then I'm not paying 2.75%, I'm paying 3.25% on the whole loan, right? So all that 800,000, which would have been their normal first trust, I'm not paying 2.75 on that, I'm paying 3.25. Plus, they're paying it on this money as well anyways. But there's also a thing called private mortgage insurance. They've got to insure that loan. Now that number could be 500, 600, $700 a month. So when you take that number, add it on to the increased interest rates, the kids are starting behind the eight ball. I don't care if they have the money. I don't care if they have the, the income to afford something like that. I, I, it doesn't matter. What makes good financial sense to the family itself? What makes good sense is that the parent doesn't have their uh, money in cheap bonds or giving them lower interest rates and the kid is paying massive interest rates on their thing. And this is not a function of a kid begging money from mom and dad. This is a function of the parents investing in their kids and the family, the family, the grandkids. So, you know, you need to talk to two people on this. You need to talk to a lender. Uh, I send everybody over to Mike Filan because we do it all the time and he's very well versed on this. Um, the buyers should use correspondent lenders, not brokers and not banks. They should use correspondent lenders because when you're going to buy a house, the listing agent like me sees a contract come in from Bank of America, no. Wells Fargo, no. Why? Chip programs change. Appraisers are very difficult to get. So I stay away. We stay away because I have five contracts, eight contracts, 10 contracts to pick. I'm certainly not going to pick one from Bank of America or Wells Fargo. So correspondent lenders is who you should be working with. They close their own loans. They do their own appraisals. They have their own underwriters. So these are the professionals, I believe, the professionals in the industry that really get the job done. So Mike Filan at First Heritage is my guy. You can email me at Casey at CaseySampson.com. I'll shoot you over to him so you can talk about it. But putting something like this together makes great sense for parents. And, you know, I think that the kids, well, I don't think, I know because I've talked to a lot of the 30-somethings at a wedding that I was just at. And yes, they don't want to go to their parents and ask for $100,000, but that makes proper sense. That makes sense for the parents. Do not get in a, um, do not have your kids in a condo that may or may not go up in value. They show no evidence of going up in value. 
single family detached on the other hand have gone up 20, 25% over the past couple of years. Now the, the question, the next question is, well, are we in a bubble? Have they gone up too fast? Are they gonna come down? The answer is this isn't gonna go on. I mean, it's not gonna keep going. Will it adjust a little bit? It might, it doesn't matter. You're gonna be in the house for 20 years, 15 years, 30 years. By moving into a house, you can grow, you can have a family, you can have dogs, you can have yards, you can have, you know, you can do what you want with a single family house. It is more likely to go up in value than any condo or any townhouse. So if you're a parent or a real estate agent, you need to reach out to your kids and if you can, if you can, and say, I got this money sitting in a, you know, retirement account. I'm going to take a hundred thousand of it. I'm going to lend it to you for a down payment on your house. You put up 60, I'll put up a hundred or whatever the numbers will be. And let's get you in a single family house. If you can't do it here in Vienna or in McLean or in Arlington, then let's get out to Chantilly. Let's get out to Centerville. Right now, the best buy in Northern Virginia, in my opinion, is Centerville. Um, as I watch the appreciation rates for all the different communities, some are up 27 to 30%. Centerville's up 23%. 23% is their appreciation rate. Why is that? Well, their roads are ripped up. I mean, 66 is a dangerous little road to be on right now. It is not pretty. It's fun to watch them build it. But I think it's inhibited people from buying in Centerville right now. So I think that's where the deals are. I think the deals are in Centerville. Uh, we do a lot in Virginia Run. Um, you know, I'm looking at a house that we're going to put on the market. Uh, well, the one house that I just put on at 900, that'll sell for 950, 965, still under market value. I'm also going to give you some tips in a minute here about buying. Um, another one out there is coming on and it's 950. And I told them it's a $1.15 million house. I mean, I know it comps out at 950, but I'm telling you that house on Pebble Brook that's coming up is worth 1.15 million. And I'm going to bet, you know, I may bet some money. Maybe I'll bet some more chili dogs that we can't get at least 1.1 for, for that $950,000 house. It's awesome. So there's a ton of great listings coming up, but let's talk about buying a house. Let's talk about how you would buy a house in a seller's market. Well, we're not gonna buy when there's no inventory. We're gonna get educated. We're gonna know what the prices are. We're gonna take a look around, you know, but we may or may not be putting a contract in. Um, you know, my theory is you sell when they yell, you buy when they cry. Right now they're yelling, so I'm selling. So buyers are getting educated. Now, here's the opportunity. Not all realtors, let me take that back. Not all homes are priced correctly, okay? So people are gonna overprice their house. When they do, that big buyer pool will swim in, take a look at it and swim off. Well, as the buyer pool leaves, stick around. Because after two or three weeks, that seller's like, yeah, we really made a mistake. Yeah, I know, we need to drop this price. We need to get this thing down. That's when you move in. When the house has been on the market, if I had a buyer, I'd say, let's not go in when things are coming on the market. Let's go in after things have been sitting on the market for a little while. They made a mistake. There's a couple of mistakes sellers can make. When you prepare a house for sale, if you put in 
$10,000. That house value is going to go up $75,000. Just telling you that's just the way the statistics worked out for us. So if you put in 10, you're going to get back 75,000. Not all sellers want to put up the 10 and not all realtors are going to tell them to put up the 10. Maybe they just want the listing and really don't care and aren't willing to tell that seller what they need to do in order to increase that price. Go buy the ugly duckling. Make sure the bones are good. The roof, HVACs, you know, um, uh, furnace, um, uh, you know, windows, make sure the bones are good. But if it's got crummy looking paint, that's what you're looking for. If it's got brass old hardware, if it's got old lighting fixtures, man, I'm telling you, you can transform a house with $10,000. You could transform the house to look from old and dated. So when you're buying, look for dated. Look for bad paint. Look for bad lighting fixtures. Look for crummy pictures. Look for overpriced houses. Look for some houses that have been pulled off the market because they were crummy and then they couldn't sell, so they took it off the market. So this is called <clears throat> shadow inventory. <clears throat> we're looking for that shadow inventory. So when we go out as a buyer, and not right this second, because I'm telling you, when things are at 89% under contract, people are paying crazy numbers, just relax. Let it get into May in June and July when that buyer pool has swam off and see what's left over. And those are your targets. Look for a good lot, look for good schools, you know? Um, you know, look for people that have not done the cosmetics. So just understand this. <clears throat> Here's another thing you might wanna look for. Somebody that over-improved a house, right? There are some people putting $400,000, they're not getting that 400,000 back. They're only going to get 150 to 200,000 that back. So if they've over-improved a house for a neighborhood and you don't care about, you know, a lot of people say, well, if I'm going to spend 900, I want to be around homes that are worth 1.2. But what happens to that 900 is in a neighborhood of 750s. They overbuilt for the neighborhood. You're going to get the benefit of all of the stuff they put in that house and you're not going to pay that much for it. So you can buy homes that are over-improved for the neighborhood. Right? Keep an eye on that. But when you do custom, when you do capital improvements, new kitchens, new bathrooms, um, new roof, new windows, um, you know, new flooring, those are capital improvements. You don't get all that money back, right? You don't get all that money back. So if you have that kind of stuff, that's good because they're not getting that money back. But it's the paint the cosmetic items that really pay for themselves, the paint, the hardware, the lighting fixtures, you know, the window treatments. Find a house that looks like it was built, you know, find a house that looks like it's 1985. You could turn that house into a 2022 just like that. Paint, hardware, lighting fixtures, you know, a kitchen you can live with, a master bedroom you can live with, you can fix those as you go along. That's what you're looking for. Look for agents that overpriced a house. It sits and sits. The buyer pool is gone. Put your mask on, come riding in. Now, what we do at that point is we'll go to that house and say, I know you put it on for $900,000. The house is really worth $750,000. That's our offer, $750,000. And I'm not trying to make you mad. I can prove that this is what the appraised value is going to be. 
here's your comparables. Here's what the assessed values are. Here's the square footage. Here's what they sold for. That's exactly what you're going to sell for. So, so we would go in and we, and again, we, we just did this. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think it was listed for 1.5 or 1.55. The house was worth 1.25, but with the benefit of all the horses, maybe 1.3. We went and got it for 1.3. It was listed for 1.55. So when they originally come on at 1.55, just work, just wait. It's coming. And then after it's been on and they can see that nobody's going to pay that number, then they're like, oh my God, what is it really worth? It's worth 1.3. Here it is. This is what it's worth. This is what we're willing to pay for. So that way you're not overpriced. You don't want to get into bidding wars. And I, I'm saying this as a buyer agent, not a selling agent. Uh, when I'm a listing, when I'm a listing agent, um, yeah, we want everybody in. We want to fight at the bat rack. And that's what 90% of the people do. So let's just let it, as a listing agent, let's let it happen. Right, but if you're my buyer, we're gonna be we're gonna go the other way. We're gonna start thinking. Let's wait. Let's not get involved in overpricing and you know paying too much for a house. Let's be thoughtful. Let's find somebody that made some mistakes. Let's find somebody that didn't price it right. Let's find somebody that didn't fix the house up, that didn't prepare it, that didn't do the marketing the way they should, and that's where we move in. Right. So if you're a buyer. Um, there are ways that you can get around this market. Um, do I want to jump in um, in, um, in February to be a buyer? No, I want to wait until May and June and July. That's when the inventory comes in, they overprice the house, the buyer pool becomes a little, you know, goes down a little bit. And, uh, and that's when we swoop in and make our purchase. So, so this is the way you, you know, there's either going to be $100,000 a profit or $100,000 of discount. When I'm working with sellers, we're getting that $100,000 profit. And our average was 127. When we work with buyers, we're going after people that made mistakes. And we're gonna get our people a deal. And that time is coming. Now, the reason why we need to do that sooner rather than later is as interest rates rise, that mortgage payment is gonna get higher. So. We do want to lock in a nice low rate. They're still about two seven five three percent. I'll check with Mike on that, but still not crazy right this minute. Lock in on a house. I am, I am telling you that interest rates could be at four percent. They could be at four and a half percent. They could be at five percent. Did you ever think you'd walk into Giant Food and see the uh, that you can't get a box of Special K? Did you ever walk into Giant Food and think you couldn't get uh, croissants? Did you ever walk into Giant Food and think you couldn't get these things? Did you think it was going to go to $3.60 a gallon when we were sitting at $2.25 a gallon a year ago? Just telling you, this is weird. This is really weird. Um, when you say that inflation has gone up more um, now than it has in the last 40 years, that's a problem. I'm just telling you, it's a problem. Interest rates are going. So, you know, if you are a buyer, you cannot wait. You need to get on. We need to get smart. We need to buy something in April, May, June. Um, so it is time to buy. If you were, uh, uh, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s, don't buy a condo. I'm telling you, they're a bad thing. We will talk to your parents. Show them this video. It's a business deal. It's a business deal. We'll get that done. Okay. And if you're a seller, you need to get your house on the market.
you need to get your house on the market before everyone else does and interest rates go up. I've been saying that for a while and every house we have is getting 50,000, dollars $100,000, premiums on their house. So, you know, sell when they yell right now, buy when they cry, give them about three months, they'll start crying. At least some of the sellers will start crying. And let's form partnerships between the parents and the kids because it gives the kids better interest rates, better terms, nicer house, they can stay for quite a while. And for the parents, keeps those grandbabies in town. And let me tell you something, the more grandbabies I have, the more I find out how important that really is. You want those grandbabies in town because they're a lot of fun. My name is Casey Sampson and this is Coffee with Casey. I hope you got a little bit of education today on where the market is. We'll be here going back to, yeah, Thursdays at 11, right? Yeah, Thursdays at 11. See you next week, Thursdays to 11. If you want me, I'm at Casey at CaseySampson.com or you can call me at 703-508-2535. We'll see you again next Thursday or give me a call. Thanks, bye.